I don't think ambition itself causes burnout. I actually fundamentally believe when we fulfill our ambition, we fulfill so many things like this time and time again. What does cause burnout is what I refer to as the ambition gap, where we are here, our ambition is up here, and we say we can't go there. That causes stress, which causes burnout. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez, your host and the CEO and founder of the Unstoppable Woman. We are a global coaching company for ambitious, driven women who are going for more in their lives and businesses. So I'm here today with another fabulous guest. Her name is Toni Collis. She comes to us from Scotland, which you will notice the accent if you are in the U.S. This is different than than our <laughs> accent, but she is comprehensible. I have met many Scots people who I cannot understand, so I am blessed to today to be able to converse with you, Tony. And it's great to have you on the podcast. Tony is an executive coach and leadership coach for women in the tech sector, and I'm excited to see what the commonalities are in our coaching styles and perspectives because we talk a lot about the same things. And today we're going to be talking, at least starting with this conversation about does ambition, that that call for more, that drive for more in our lives, in our, bus- in our businesses, cause burnout, which is one of those things that often stops people. So welcome to the show, Tony. So good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Amira. I am so delighted to come and share my thoughts. On, and like you've hinted at already, I think there's so much commonality in what you and I do. Really excited to have this conversation today. Yeah. So let's dive right in. So this concept of does ambition cause burnout? It's to me, like when I am talking to my clients about their goals, their dreams, their vision, what they're going for, their desire for more. There's this phase that happens kind of soon after they they claim their desire, this denial, like, oh my God, but what's going to happen? I'm going to be too busy. I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to, I'm already at capacity. How could I even like claim more? And they pull back and, and, and shut down. And I think it comes to this real fear around this is going to cause burnout. I'm going to be overwhelmed. I I won't be able to to live at all, like live this mm-hmm. life, much less have the beautiful relationships and experiences and all the stuff, the, 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 the life that we want, not just the stuff, yeah. but the life that we want. So what's your perspective on that? I think you've hit the nail on the head that we, a lot of the time, we're so scared of our ambition. We are scared it's going to cause burnout. I think the other fear I see coming in with ambition is it's going to make me, excuse my language, but a lot of the time with ambition, we think, oh my God, that's going to make me an asshole. Mm. And so we have this perception that ambition is bad. Uh, We also think people that are ambitious screw each other over, that people that are ambitious are horrible and mean and nasty. 
So we sit in this space, and I see this with the leaders I work with, but also the CEOs that I've worked with as well, you know, CEOs in tech. And I know you work with a lot of CEOs of business. And it's almost like we're fighting ourselves with this. We have this ambition, but we don't fulfill it. And even if we know logically it's okay for me to fulfill it, some part of ourselves is having this negative inner dialogue that I'm going to be a horrible person. I'm going to be burnt out. I'm going to have to work crazy hours. I remember when I first started working with my business coach, when I first set up my business, I, I quit my job. I hired a business coach the same day. It was terrifying. And, and she said to me, I am not here for you working crazy hours. I believe women entrepreneurs need to work fewer hours and demonstrate to the human race that we can do that. And that's now what I advocate as a leadership coach is actually to do the best work we do. We don't need to work crazy hours. But so much of our conditioning is that if we're ambitious, we're going to work crazy hours. We're going to sacrifice our family time. We're going to do all these things. And I see that playing out in the media. Think about the role models we have in the media for those people that make billions. They're quite often in the media because they have no work-life balance. So let's yeah. dive into a few of those things, because I think you hit on a, a number of really important pieces. So working backwards, let's see, I would just like to, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but mm-hmm. I just want to point out there are some good examples, not many, not yeah. not a lot, <laughs> but there are some good examples of women who have been CEOs who balance yeah, I don't like the word balance, but ha- harmonize life and 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 have figured some things out. I think Sarah Blakely, the mm-hmm. CEO and founder of Spanx Billionaire, has just an interesting topic. This idea that there's an inner voice that's saying you're going to be too much. You're going to alienate people like that. That you said, you know, I'm going to be an asshole. Or I hear a lot of time from from women. It's like, I'm going to be too much for the women, the other women in the room, the men in the room. And the men in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And there's conditioning around that because two things here. One, that experience has been had. Okay. If you are going for more, there, there are experiences where other people will be put off or shocked or uncomfortable with it, or it's different. Or oftentimes, like when I'm, I'm, working with people in the UK, like my American directness is very different than the UK sort of style of of interacting. And and but there's there's all sorts of reasons why someone might be slightly put off. But we internally go, oh my God, did I do something wrong? And mm-hmm. that that immediate reaction, I think we can trace back all the way to like toddlerhood, infant time where where we had this concept of like our mother God, father God, they were where our sustenance came from, our security yeah. came from. And if we if we chose to to say, no, I want to play with my toys lo- longer, and mom said, no, we have to get to grandma's house or we have to get to preschool or wherever it was, and we didn't listen, mom cut off the love to try and train us to be a good yeah. person in society and get places on time. And we made it mean oh, something's wrong with us, right? And so there's this like conditioning and yet all our desires are there calling us forward and it's almost, and and other people might not be happy about that. Yeah. Well, you kind of, you hit something that I really want to get to here, which is those desires are calling us forward. And here's, here's how I do see ambition causing burnout. I don't think ambition itself causes burnout. 
I actually fundamentally believe when we fulfill our ambition, we fulfill so many things. I've seen this time and time again. What does cause burnout is what I refer to as the ambition gap, where we are here and we're telling ourselves these stories as we just discussed. Our ambition is up here and we say we can't go there. That causes stress, which causes burnout. That ambition gap in my mind is the number one source of ambition burnout. It isn't the ambition itself, it's the gap. Ooh, I love that. The ambition gap. I might start using that, Tony. So it's a great uh, phrase. It's a great phrase. So uh, like one of the things that the way I speak about it, very similarly, like you're here, like um, if you're just listening and not listen, looking at the video of this, you know, hand on a lower position, and then you want to go here, hand on a higher position, mm-hmm. right? And there's a gap there. And one of the things that I, uh, the perspective that I I share with my clients is that we we always get the results that match where we're at. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do we get results? that are at a higher level, like that that vision, that desire, where we want to go, that are at a different level if we always get the results that are at, that match the where we're at. We have to raise who we're being in this mm-hmm. world. And I think this is when you were talking earlier about like, uh, you don't have to work crazy hours. And I have been someone who's worked crazy hours and I know what that feels like. And it and it, it's like being on a treadmill, like the mm-hmm. the like hamster on the wheel. And you think that there's no way off, but there really truly is. Yeah. And I feel like this is a conversation around like, who do you need to be your beingness, not your doingness? And your beingness will will cause the right kind of doing. It's not no doing. I think this is where, where do you find that this is where people flip out? They're like, oh, wait a second. You're saying I'm not supposed to rely on mm-hmm. this talent, the skill set that I have, the doingness. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that I need to step back and be in my beingness, but how the hell do I do that, number one? Yeah. And two, like, does that mean I don't do anything? Do I sit on a beach and like drink pina coladas and just wait for the, you know, the desire to be made manifest? The, the conversation around like stepping away from the doing and it, instead focusing on some of the being is, I mean, it is probably the hardest conversation I have with my clients, whether they are CEOs or like, a lot of my clients are working in corporate. They are leaders. They come to work with me to improve their leadership. Um, and I work with people all across, like at all levels of leadership, all the way from like first-time managers all the way up to CEOs. And the problems are the same. And a lot of it is they've got to where they are. And we as entrepreneurs have this too. We get to where we are by working longer and harder a lot of the time. It, what I have seen time and time again, and this is backed up by multiple studies in literature that go back decades, once we work much more than a 40-hour week, certainly once you get above 50, your productivity actually goes down. You might as well only be working a 30-hour week. You can pull it off for one, maybe two weeks, but much beyond that, your productivity actually drops. It doesn't feel like it, though. It feels, it feels like, like you're getting I, a lot of little things done, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. oh, I got the dopamine hit of getting that yeah. little thing done. And then what I find, and remember this, is like I would I would create little things. Like my yes. brain would start thinking about all these little things. And then you don't mm-hmm. get that deeper thinking, that bigger visioning, that mm-hmm. like grounded focus. <laughs> the creative problem solving just drops in and you're like, yeah. oh, that's the answer. Now it's not 
magical. You sit there and you you give yourself space and you give yourself a frame for for what you would like to to create. Sometimes it comes to you in the shower, but oftentimes it's like, okay, space you do have to create that space. This. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I do with all my clients is I, I mean, bear in mind that, you know, a lot of my clients, they're working in big business or even, the, you know, a small startup, but they're expected, the level they're working at, they're expected to solve really challenging problems, like seriously challenging problems. You can't solve those with 30 minutes on a Friday afternoon when you're burnt out from a week's hard work. You cannot. And so one of the things I do is, especially the more senior they are, I assist you have deep work scheduled in your calendar. If you come and work with me, if you are a VP or above, I expect you to find 40% of your, I mean, I will work with them on doing this because they all resist doing this. Sometimes it takes months to get to this point, but 40% of your calendar should be scheduled deep work time. And I think that the resistance, Tony, Mm -hmm. is around identity, okay? As someone who got her self-worth through her ability to be top of her class, top of the game, like being able to achieve at yeah. a super, super high level, right? Like went to the best schools, got the, you know, mm-hmm. the accolades, all of that, right? We become identified with the doing aspect of our success. And we forget that part of what allowed us to work at that level was a connection to a deep source of a reservoir of knowingness that is deep mm-hmm. inside of us that then gets shut off if we go into mm-hmm. the busy mode. And like, if you had talked to me when I was deep in my scurry mode, let's call it scurry mode, right? Like, I like that, yeah. Like the tiger was chasing me all the time. I would have been like, F off. You have no idea how much work I have, right? You, yeah. there, There's no way. And the thing that really shifted my approach was, I would th- say two things, oh, probably more than that, but I'll give you two. One was a bigger desire that had nothing to do with my business, which I will share in a moment. Mm-hmm. And the second was meditation, which I had been hearing for years was the answer. And I had tried to meditate and you know, I was like, okay, well, this ain't for me. Like my brain is like. <laughs> it's so hard settle. to shut our brains off when we're always busy, 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 right? And to yeah. pull yourself in for the meditation. I'm not great at it, but I, whenever I manage to actually properly meditate and completely like p- remind my brain that, no, no, it's okay to have those thoughts, but come back here, come back here. When I realized that was the point in meditation, I was like, oh my God, I can do that because I have the discipline to do that. And the amount of problem solving you do when you spent five minutes in that space of like, come back to me, come back to me. Afterwards, it's like, you're a superwoman. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's amazing. And now I, I meditate, like I've flipped to the other side, which is amazing and I love, but like I meditate twice a day, sometimes for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. It has only done great things in my business. Now, if you're listening and you're going, I don't have time for that, that's crazy talk. I built up to it and I had a big desire. So one of the things, Tony, that I teach in my worldview, and I think probably is synced up with you, is like you have to have a desire that that's worth failing for. Like it's worth yeah. tripping and scraping your knees, looking bad, making all the mistakes, experiencing the 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 challenges, right? Because if if anyone tells you 
that it's supposed to be a walk in the park and you won't have challenges. They are lying to you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But it can be easier. And there's a way to make it easier than harder for sure. But I, I had to have, I had to choose a, let in, let me say it differently, let in a, a desire that was bigger than before. And just a little, little side note, because uh, I don't think you know this about me, uh, and maybe some new listeners don't know this, but like when I first started my business, I had, you know, made 30K the first year, 90K the second year, 138K the third year. I think it's really, by the way, I think it's really important to talk numbers with people so that they know yeah. like what's what's it's not possible. A, it's yeah. not a simple journey either. I think it's nice to share like the ups and the downs. I think that's really yeah. nice for people to hear. Yeah. I don't always do a good job of sharing the downs because I like staying in this like, oh, it's great. Yeah. But I, I do a little bit. Um, and then the third year, I realized to your point I can't just work more hours, right? Like I was already working that 50 plus hour work week and like, okay, well, this is one, unsustainable. And two, I can't like double my work hours, impossible to double my income. So I studied success. I looked at like the different ways that people approached business. And I'd already been working with business coaches, but I did a real deep dive into like the laws of success and subconscious programming and, and and a new way of really like what successful people do. And that year, I went from 138 to 700K. So I have five wow. times my income. My goal, though, was a million dollars. And that at the time was note that I didn't make my goal. And I was like, wham, wham, because I was very goal oriented. Oh. But oh. I, afterwards, I was I was like, oh, this is crazy good. What are you talking about? But yeah. um, that was a really big desire for me and a really big goal. And it was worth the falling on my knees kind of thing, the mm-hmm. the scrapes and bruises and, and the challenges. I had to move through a lot of inner game stuff. But then after that, Tony, <clears throat> the, the, the number desire, the income desire... I've always been interested in growing the business and we've grown the business and and it's steadily become more and more each year. But that becomes less of a driver and less of a motivator than something else. And I was trying to figure out, okay, well, is it impact? People talk about impact. Is it service? I've always been someone who's really into service. And here's the punchline. This is a long-winded conversation here. (laughs) Ultimately, I realized I'd gotten divorced in 2018, great relationship with X, great guy, amicable, just went our separate ways. And I was ready for a higher love. You know, I was ready to be, I had been in a relationship that was for four years, it lit me up, it was great. And then it wasn't anymore. So that passed away. And I was like, I'm ready. I've done so much growth. I'm ready for a divine exquisite, you know, next level love. And I set that as my goal. And that was a desire worth failing for, right? Which I didn't fail. I've made manifest that, that, yeah. which is truly amazing. But I, I see this to, to women. Okay. Making, I'm landing the plane now, Tony, and then I'm going to hand you the mic. Okay. <laughs> I see, I'm sharing this because I think, for the CEO, for the woman who is 
uh, the CEO of a tech startup or is really driven and uh, she's going and then she's she's gotten to a certain level and then she's like, what is what is the more? And she some will find additional business challenges, but some will be finding business challenges to fill this void inside that isn't a true desire. And then it and then it becomes a struggle to create more. But if we have a really true desire and claim it and own it, and for me it was very it was scary and exhilarating at the same time. Be- scary because, you know, core wounds around what's possible and yeah. are you lovable and all of that sort of stuff. And I say that kind of flipply deflecting over here. But I think it's a big deal for women. Like, mm-hmm. I want it all. We've been told we want it all. But can I really have it all? I shouldn't yeah. even desire that because I'm going to let myself yeah. down. Yeah, it comes back to that ambition gap. We shouldn't even desire that ambition. It's somehow wrong. I That's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking at the same time. But at least recognizing that. Then you mentioned scary and exciting. My my coach has a word for this, scare-sighted best word ever (laughs) because I think a lot of what we do is scary and exciting and as you say it's okay to fall down to hurt your knees on the way I mean like at the moment my company we go through a growth thing for us my ambition from day one in my business is don't get me wrong the money is helpful it's nice and it means I get to employ amazing women working for me but for me my driver has always been I fundamentally believe the tech space needs to deliver better and in my opinion we need better leadership and guess what women are 51 percent of the human race and we're massively underrepresented in tech they're great better leaders better women leaders in tech make better technology companies make better technology for the human race that's why i do what i do i i truly believe that as women we can change things for the better and i want to support women doing that so i'm like okay i'm here to help thousands and thousands of women and it is terrifying because I can't do that by myself. I can help a hundred by myself at a stretch. I can't help thousands. I can't change the biggest industry that the human race has ever created. Technology permeates everything we do. I can't do that by myself. I, I just truly can't. And to me, that is very scarcity because I've got so many things to figure out on the way. How do I do that? I know I have a recipe that works. I know when I coach leaders, they'll say to me, oh my God, I've never had a coach understand me before. I've never had a coach who gets what it's like to be a woman in tech before. I've never had a coach understand what it's like to be a female CEO in tech before, how to talk to investors, how to talk to the board, all those kind of things. How do I then translate that into something that can help thousands of women when I'm not doing all the legwork? But that's a beautiful challenge for us to have. If we have something like that, the lights is up, right? It's such a beautiful place to be in. We're just going to solve problems. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for me, there's a few things that pop for, for me. You are helping people because you have thousands of people listening to your podcast. So, you know, you could check that box already. Right. <laughs> but it's not sufficient, right? <laughs> you want more than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's what desire is for me. I think a lot of people have a, a conversation in their head that says something like, shouldn't I be satisfied? right? Is it greedy, selfish, unethical to want more, right? Shouldn't I be content Content. Yeah, yeah. with where I'm at? And one of the phrases that I got from 
Bob Proctor was content, not satisfied. You always want more. And, and now neuroscience backs this up because neuroscience talks about the dopamine effect, right? Dopamine is the chemical that causes us to get out of bed in the morning. Like we would not go get water, go get food, go to the bathroom if we didn't have the desire to do that. And dopamine like clicks in very subtle level at that point to do that. It motivates us to move forward. And we wouldn't we wouldn't create anything in life if we didn't have the desire for it. It's the attachment to the how that causes a little bit of that problem that a lot of people have around. Oh, maybe they don't want to go for more. I also want to go back to something you said around scary. You're sighted, which is sweet, cute. I love that. For me, and tell me, tell me if uh, you get scared. Because for me at this point, I used the word scary. I think I did. As a shorthand, because it doesn't actually feel scary to me. It feels... No, I know what you mean. It feels like this is a thought, not a feeling. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I am worthy of this. I don't know if I'm allowed. It's possible. It, am I going to fail? Right? Those are all the thoughts. And, and the feeling there is is of maybe I'm not enough, right? It's like a, a, a smallness. It's a fear of not being enough, a fear, deep core fear, not of what's going to happen out there, like what people are going to think of making mistake, of not being successful. It's like this, am I going to be confronted with in this situation Am I really just not enough? Mine's a little different. I think it's interesting because I feel like I've done the work on the enoughness. I've done a lot of work on that. But I still get, when I when I allow my brain to go there, and I'm, what I'm very good at now is like recognizing my brain is going there and pulling it back in and be like, it's okay. I am still scared of failure. Like that is my number one thing. I've, I've dealt with the enoughness. I think it's interesting. We all have our different weaknesses in that area. We have some things that override. The fear of failure to me, it's not, it's not the disabling fear that it used to be. I used to be paralyzed by my fear of failure. But I'm a problem solver at heart. That is how I've built my career. It's how I became an executive myself before I quit and became a CEO. And it has served me really well. I solve problems. I identify problems other people don't see and then I solve them and I solve the heck out of them. Mm -hmm. That is my superpower. And so to me, setting out on a journey where I don't know if I can solve these problems it's like, but that's my superpower. So if I can't solve it, I don't have anybody else to lean on. And I think that allows the worry and the fear to come in because of that. Underneath, like, if, if you failed, what's at risk then? The logical part of me is like, well, that's totally cool because I've got a really great business. I help great women. No, no, no. And I would just try like, again. What are you afraid of when you think, oh, if I, if I'm, if I fail, what do you think is going to happen? Well, and see, I would say there, I, I think these days I'm not actually, if I examine it, there's there's nothing. It's just because I think I've lived my life so with so much fear of failure, letting people down, like what's going to happen if uh, it took me years to undo that. I, I'm a recovering warrior. I used to worry about, I could worry about being worried. My husband would be like, why are you so worried about this? I'm like, I don't know. I can't just turn it off. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of work to do with that. And 
It's, it's not logical. There's nothing underneath that it goes to. It's interesting to me that. It's, oftentimes I find the fear of failure, and you said, I'm going to let other people down, right? There's something mm-hmm. to do with the relationships there. And when I unpack that to the next level, oftentimes if I think about, oh, I'm afraid of letting someone down, why would why would I be afraid of letting someone down? Well, I might lose their love, their respect, yeah. um, the so the belongingness, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have a. I think there's there are deep core fears that it comes back to of, of being alone, of being unlovable, that being wrong, being not enough. Like they all kind of. I feel like that it's like a core wound matrix, like a yeah. a ball that. You know, we could emphasize one versus the other, but they're all very linked. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a deep human condition that I think sometimes these fears that we can logically unpack are are yeah. rooted. It's like there's this root ball that they're rooted to and they're sprouting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, fear of not belonging, not being loved, letting people down, I think that is I, for the for me it's the i think underneath it's not there rationally but illogically it's there until i look at it and then it just kind of evaporates because i've done the work to know that it's not actually a true thing but it's still there and i think this comes again like full circle to what we're talking about which is we've actually got to understand like what is our everything i think it's very interesting you and i have very different root issues going on here um we're two women successful doing great things It'd be very easy to lump us together and be like, oh, clearly you two have the same issue. Like actually underneath we don't, we're all individual. We've all got, all got our own lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yet there's some commonalities and yeah. humanity to all of us. And I think yeah. that's really an important piece. And something you said, I want to just go back to. I, I think that we can intellectually understand what's going on. And it's so important to be able to like break that down. And especially... Yeah for I think the audiences that we both attract you know I I attract like intellectuals people who are deep thinkers who are like they're the ones that that run circles around other people right and and so being able to use your intellect to be able to identify what's going on in your reactiveness in your in your you're feeling emotional reactiveness in that sort of heart space or gut that's like clenched up and and be able to break that down intellectually. It's such a huge asset. And then there is this other way that you you need to like work in my mind. And I use work uh, lightly here because it's not a force kind of work. It's a experiential work, which is to to recognize those um, constrictions that are coming up, those feelings that feel, to use your word, scare sighted, right? Like th- that that or that that feel limiting, like resentment or disappointment or frustration or overwhelming, right? Or feeling trapped. You know, we mm-hmm. feel those in our body and to be able to have tools around recognizing them and releasing them without yeah i say this as a it goes beyond the intellectual frame i think we need to start with the intellectual mm-hmm. frame because it it's our I- 
part of our identity. It's where we feel safe. It's where we understand how to make sense of the world and then access these other tools. Yeah, I think yeah. It, the starting with the intellectual frame to me, it allows you to like be like, no, there's nothing logical about this mm-hmm. and completely dismiss one avenue that we all fall into the trap of believing. Well, there's a rational thing here. This must come from somewhere. All that kind of, if we start examining it, we can immediately go like, no, 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 there's nothing there. Okay, great. So it's not my brain doing this to me. Like, what can I then do with this in a different way? And I, I love your idea, like that having these other tools. And I actually meditation is one of the ones I will use for this. When I've done all the logical work, meditation, some yoga, allow me to then break through this contraction that happens from this anxiety yeah. and just like let go of that. Yeah. But it's not it's not rational at all at that point. Okay, let's shift. I love this conversation. Let's shift a little bit to the particular issues that you think are up for women in the tech sector. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to get a a sense from you, like, what do you think is most challenging? And let's see if there's commonalities across across the board, because I've worked with people, many people in the the tech sector, but like, Mm. let's see if there's a they're, like what's specific to tech and what's part of this larger conversation? Interestingly, I don't think other than the language and more of an ex- expectation of a bro culture, I think almost everything I do applies to every sector, which my clients might be horrifying to hear <laughs> because a lot of them have tried client, have tried coaches who aren't tech specialists and they haven't got on with them. And I think part of why we don't get on with them is because they don't speak our language. They don't, mm. they don't get it. But I think a lot of what I do, and bear in mind that my, first of all, most, I'm a leadership coach. And so I come at this with a leadership lens. But I do think all the issues I see are very prevalent in other sectors. There is the additional burden, which applies to other sectors too, but it's particularly heavy of being so male-dominated. I think the entrepreneurial space 10 years ago was like that. And I think that's shifted, particularly with pandemic. I think there are so many more women entrepreneurs out there. It's beautiful. But there is still a lot of the programs out there are very bro-oriented, um, you know, sales programs. And I just, oh, it gets under my skin. Um, and so it's recognizing when is the issue in front of me related to the dominant culture. And in tech, there is still toxicity is, is enabled at work because you've got this star high performer and the old traditional model was like, well, we'll let them be toxic because they perform so high without recognizing the benefit of Team IQ, where Team IQ always outperforms time and time again, study after study shows Team IQ outperforms individual IQ. So as leaders, we need to be moving away from this old fashioned model of leadership, which enables that, I wouldn't even call it leadership, it's called leadership, it's not, it's management poor management, <laughs> mm-hmm. but enables those kind of bad behaviors because there's one person who does great things by themselves and instead really look at culture. Do you think that comes from a scarcity mindset? Like, yeah, I, I'm afraid if I if I move the model mm-hmm. and it doesn't work, yeah. then what? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I actually, I think the scarcity mindset plays into so much of the decisions we make as leaders where we aren't making a good decision because we're fearful of if I do that, there might not be enough over here of that thing. So the, there's, you know, the fear of like, well, I don't know how to do it, like we talked about before, which applies to us as well as our businesses. But then it applies also in terms of the scarcity piece. 
I think a lot of bad decisions are made in the workplace because of scarcity. I think you nail on the head there with that one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's um, much more subtle than people think. I think mm. I think a lot of women go, well, I'm a risk taker. No, I'm, I'm not afraid of making the shift. But there's little subtle ways that this shows up, whether it's like, like the example you gave around sort of shifting it to team IQ or like letting someone go and having an open space of, yeah. you know, like, what do I do if if I don't have this or like I can't hire this mm-hmm. for that? There's all sorts of ways. I'm, I'm not articulating this as well as I'd like to, but there's it, it, it's I would like the listeners to pay attention to this mm-hmm. in their conversation in their head which hopefully with meditation you're quieting down. But there is always that conversation in your head about like how you're approaching any of the myriad decisions a day, thousands of decisions a day. And you think you're a risk taker, but where are you? Here's how to frame it up. You think you're a risk taker, but where are you not taking a risk out of some sort of scarcity fear? Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, talk to me about you you had a little offhanded comment. You said bro oriented. Talk yeah. to me about what you mean by that. Oh, this is a good one, especially because I think as women we react extremely to it at times. We either fit in or we go the other way to the other extreme, which causes own set of issues. So it you know, negative cultures tend to go hand in hand, working crazy hours, always in the office. The classic, you know, twenty years ago working in tech was You'd walk into a room of programmers, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a coder by training. I worked on programming, supercomputing industry. That was my career for a long time. But the traditional stereotype is you walk into a room of programmers, and they, they haven't left their desk for days. They smell bad. They just drink beer at their desks. They have, you know, either porn or heavy metal on the walls, and it's just because that's the stereotype. The more realistic is the behavior that goes hand in hand with that, which is kind of hard to describe if you haven't experienced it. But it's like very macho, very masculine. There's no feminine energy in the room. And that means as a woman, being the only woman in the room, many of my clients are the only woman in the room. Or they've built a business where they've been fighting being the only woman in the room their entire business building time. And have to work really hard to attract and retain women because there aren't many of us out there in tech. Getting better, by the way. And it just... It, it's it, this toxicity is always there on the edge. Like the highest performer has come from this kind of environment. And you're like, are they going to bring that with us? The number of people I've worked with over the years, even before I was a coach, where I saw them in multiple environments. In some, they had that toxic, masculine, negative energy, very much bro culture, trying to like, I'm better than I am kind of attitude. You put them in a different environment, a different human being. You're like, how are you the same person? And everybody would get on with them in that environment. I'm like, this is what we need to shift. We need to move away from that. I'm better than everybody else behavior to I'm part of the team. Yeah. And that's part of the work I do as leaders because most of the women I work with have never had a role model as somebody who is able to deal with that and tackle that. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I'm thinking back in your description. I used to work in tech in in the Bay Area and California uh, and <laughs> in startups and bigger companies. And I wasn't a programmer, but I was in the tech environment. And mm-hmm. so I know what you're talking about. I know that smell. I know the boxes of pizza. Oh, the smell. Oh, my God. The smell is awful. Isn't it? I love working from home. I just have to yeah. say that. 
Uh, that made me, and it took me back. You said that that you you either become more like that or you move away from that. And I find that is a a thing across the board, whether it's this this L dominant kind of culture or or other things. We either yeah. embrace it or we move away from it. You know, our our parents, we either are like them or we say we don't want to be like that at all. Yeah. Right. Like just want to point out something that might be really interesting to people. I would say as a coach, my job is to get people to recognize that here's one side of it, here's the other side of it. You want to be in the middle. <laughs> like it's bringing people to the middle. I almost like that is what coaching is about, whatever the thing is. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in and say that. Yeah. For me, like it, it's one of the things that has been really powerful in my journey has been, you know, when I was working in tech, when I was living in the Bay Area, I wasn't totally in my masculine. I mean, I started, if you go way, 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 way back, I started as a temp, as a receptionist at a startup, right? And it was back, like yeah. back in the day, right? And I remember, bless her heart, Lori Allen, she was the head of HR. She came out and she's like, I'm going to hire you today because we're going public. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? Like I did not even know, but that allowed me to, you know, that that was the start of my career and that allowed me to purchase a house and it was great. I was like, okay, but I was, I was working as a receptionist and I had gone to UC Berkeley and all the engineers were like hitting on me because I was at the, the front, right? And, but even the, and they would look at me and they would go, you went to UC Berkeley and you're working as a a receptionist like how is that their mind could not wrap their head around it and so i was going to say something different about this but this is a it's just coming to me this thought even early on in my career i was i had gone to europe i'd spent time there i came back with 75 dollars in my bank account and i needed to make money so i attempt right mm-hmm. and I followed the breadcrumbs of desire and that that led to a whole career in, in corporate, in tech and startups and working my way up up the the ladder. And it was it was an amazing time, but they couldn't figure out why I was doing this. And now I can see with 2020 hindsight, I was always looking for what the next thing was, what would be fun, what would light me up. And and not having that rigid thing. Okay, that was a long story. I don't. I I think that I never quite realized that I always had this masculine feminine mm-hmm. integration. So I think I lost it along the way in some ways. Because when I was in the Bay Area, after a while, I lost sort of my my femininity or yeah. like my uh, desire to to pull myself together and look good and all of this. And as I built this career now, this this multi-million dollar business, global coaching company, Unstoppable Woman, yada, 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 I really went on a journey to step into being more of the woman in, and this might alienate people, I'm sorry if it does, in ways that I wanted to be a woman which yeah. had to do with pretty clothes, having my hair done, feeling sexy in my body, like having some some flow and femininity moving through me even as I am the CEO of a business, right? And yeah. and making the tough decisions and running running team and leading and all of that. 
And for me, it's it's about it's not just middle way. It's like integration and knowing when I need more of one and when I need more of another and and loving both aspects of myself. I, I love that because I do think we should be utilizing all of these different pieces. And whether you want to call it masculine, feminine energy or something else, I think there's something for us to learn from both. And by the way, I don't think you should even apologize potentially alienating people. My heart goes out to those people if they feel alienated, but please don't be threatened by someone. What I was going to say was, was like, yeah, I was going to say like, I it changed my languaging on it because I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, I want to look good and like yeah. be beautiful and be sexy and be in my body and all of that. And in that sort of classic beauty way, which actually would have alienated me slightly before because I, I was brought up like my intellect is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you wear a short skirt or like a, a pretty dress or whatever, that's frivolous. But isn't that you won't be taken that seriously? Yeah. That judgment. And I, I, the reason I picked it up with you is because I see this so much. We spend so much time judging other people for, oh, and especially in tech, this happens. I will, you know, I get to know my clients really well. Some become like really good friends. I said they'll be completely honest with me, which is what I need them to be. There's so much judgment of like, they do this, they do that, they do the other. And I'm like, judgment itself like I can't do that right yeah wouldn't it just be the most beautiful place if all of us could stop being focused on how other people are perceiving us and therefore be ourselves fully so that we can do extraordinary work because all that time we're spending energy compressing who we really are we're not using that cognitive ability to create other outcomes we're using it to repress ourselves and that breaks my heart every time yeah, that suppression mm-hmm. is an energy sap, right? Yeah, it sounds your energy. And so many women tell me, my clients say, well, I can't do that or be that in my industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of hooey. Like, you don't have oh, yeah. to be me. I don't want you to be me because if you try and be me, you'll fail at it. There's only one me, right? But you, like, who do you want to be? How do you want to express yourself? And, and if we can unpack what that looks like and then you start stepping into it and owning it and experiencing it, that will free up so much success in your life, like so much energy, so much joy yeah. also. Real really does. delight. Yeah. Okay. So anything else you'd like to share on the masculine feminine? Do you, do you find that it affects other parts of people's lives besides their work in the the tech sector like what about the rest of their lives i i definitely think like it, it spills over from one end to the other so a lot of the women i work with then at some point they have repressed their femininity because they're in this bro culture and what happens is when they start unlocking this they get better relationships at home i'm not the therapist i'm not the one like dealing with it when it's like really bad at home that's not my job i'm a leadership coach i'm an executive coach i'm here to help you be a better leader but the way it impacts us personally is profound to me. Better relationships, having better conversations with your kids, with your partner, with your friends and family. It just snowballs the impact. I did have one lady who started working with me and then got divorced. I was like, oh my God, have I failed? But what it did was give her permission to be unhappy in her marriage and acknowledge it. That wasn't the intention of my work. I'm here to make her a better leader. But the strength that she got from being truly who she was gave her permission 
to walk away from a toxic relationship. Yeah. Divorce is not always bad. It's not always the answer, oh. but it's not always that for sure. Yeah. And I would just add to the the outcomes, like sometimes it's looking better in your body. Sometimes it's yeah. better sex, you know, like it, like the all of it is is a beautiful outcome to this. So before I wrap up and ask my my last final questions, where can people find you? So you can find me at my website, tonycollis.com. But I also hang out all the time on LinkedIn. That is my first and foremost place to hang out. So I am pretty much the only Tony Collis out there. There are a few others, but on LinkedIn, I, my handle is Tony Collis. Nice and easy to find me. So my final question for you is, what makes you an unstoppable woman? Actually, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. My ambition and embracing it. I am not scared of my ambition. I am truly here to change the world. I remind myself of that every day. When I first started saying it a decade ago, I giggle when I said, oh my God, I'm here to change the world. Ha ha. And you know what? No, I really am here to change the world. And that makes me unstoppable because if I am here to change the world, nothing can get in my way. Nothing at all. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining me and our audience on this podcast. It's been a delightful conversation. I love what you've added to the conversation that you have this depth and breadth of experience working both with yourself, doing the inner work that's required to do this outer work and and take your mission forward and, and help thousands and thousands of women in the tech uh, sector. I believe that you're already doing that and that you will continue to expand and and do even more of that. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I feel like we could have chatted all day. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Amira. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Welcome.